Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We're going to be today in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to go from verse 1 to 16. Um, we are in a teaching series that, we are, that we've entitled the book of Colossians. Jesus is greater than anything. And you might wonder, why do we read the Word of God? And the reason we do is because the Word of God teaches us to read the Word of God in 1 Timothy 4. It says, don't neglect the reading of the Word of God. So something happens when we read the Word of God out loud. We're going to teach it and preach it also, but there's something that uh, God does through His Holy Spirit when we are obedient and we read His Word. So we're going to be reading 16 verses. I timed it. It's two minutes, literally, to go from verse 1 to 16. I want to encourage you as we go through this, see if you can hear the gospel. See if you can find the gospel through this text. This is the Word of God, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 16. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love verse 4. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he's going to give a list of things that we need to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, the word that you gave us through your prophets and through your apostles, you wrote to us through the apostle Peter that some of Paul's teachings are difficult to understand and that ignorant and unstable men have twisted it to their own destruction. So this morning, as we come to your word, we are in Paul's teachings. And some of these things that are in here are difficult for us to understand. I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to understand, that we would not twist your word, but that we would accept it for what it is meant to do. And that is to point us to Jesus and bring glory to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you are getting situated, I want to ask a question as we're getting started here, and that is, have you ever noticed that life is filled with oxymorons? Have you ever noticed that? Now, now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about people. Okay, I said oxymorons. Now, an oxymoron is a phrase, for those of you who don't know what, what an oxymoron is, it's a phrase that's made up of two or more words that have opposite meanings. And on the, the surface, they seem to contradict each other. I mean, they do contradict each other, and it seems to be a statement that doesn't make sense. But in reality, it does make logical sense. I'm going to give you like four of them in, in a sentence. Here's a sentence. The dog was pretty ugly. That's an oxymoron. Or I need an original copy of the contract. Or how about this one? Have you ever had someone tell you, try to act natural. Try to act natural. Or this is one that we Christians say to each other all the time. We're just going to have to agree, Tiffany, to disagree, right? We're just going to have to agree to disagree. Good to see you this morning. Okay, sorry. All right. Now, if you know the words of Christ and you've read the Bible, you may think some of his statements are sound like oxymorons. I'm going to give you a few of them, and I want you to complete the sentence for me, okay? Matthew 19, Jesus says, the first will be Yes. He says in Matthew 18, the greatest must become the least. Yeah, the greatest must become the least. He also says in Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds their life will, yeah, you find it, you lose it. In Hebrews, it says to strive to enter his rest. Strive. There's a, there's there's statements, verses in the Bible that, that sound like oxymorons. They sound like they uh, contradict each other, that they don't make sense. But in reality, they make perfect spiritual sense. And with this in mind, I want to address something in Paul's teachings that might seem a little oxymoronish. Oxymoronish. They, they may seem to be, don't quite make sense. They kind of contradict each other. Because Paul's teaching that as I prayed, can be difficult to understand at times, especially when it comes to how we are to walk. That's the title of my message this morning. It can be kind of difficult to understand how we are to walk as disciples of Jesus, especially in relationship to the law of God. I'm going to explain more what I mean by that in just a second. But because uh, if, if if you've been with us from the beginning, the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul has spent a lot of time trying to help us see the supremacy, the sufficiency, and the sacrifice 
of Jesus. That Jesus is greater than anything. We don't need to add to him and that he died for us, the gospel. He's been setting this whole book up with the first two chapters. But then in chapters three and four, and that's where we are today, we're going to be beginning to look at how we are to walk as disciples of Jesus. And specifically, this is where the law of God comes in. And here's the question I want to answer this morning. Do we obey the law, the Ten Commandments, laws like that, or don't we obey the law to please God? Are we to please God by obeying the law, or are we not to please God by obeying the law? And verse 17 in our passage today, he, it ended with saying, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you know, I know that as a disciple of Jesus, I've been one for about 47 years. I know that being a disciple of Jesus, we often say things like, you know, Christianity isn't a religion about what? Do's and don'ts. Have you ever said that? What is it's about? a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus. And that is true. That is absolutely true. But if we're also going to be true, we have to admit that our relationship with Jesus is filled with a bunch of do's and don'ts. Um, Things that we are called to put on and things that we are called to take off, especially in chapter 3. I don't know if you noticed that when I was reading through it, that... As Paul is giving application, he gives this long list of do's and don'ts. And I'm gonna, I made a list of them uh, on the, the screen here. I just want to read through them real quick. He tells us in verse 1, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Verses 8 through 9, put away the old self. Verse 12, put on the new self. Verse 13, bear with and forgive each other. Put on love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is law. This is the law. Do this, don't do that. In order, and here it is, to walk in a, in a manner that's pleasing to God. But then, last week, if you were with us, you'll remember that Paul said to beware of trying to please God by keeping the law. He said, don't allow anyone to disqualify you. Don't let anyone uh, make you, uh, bring you to a place where you are a legalist. Don't practice legalism. And I told you, this is the definition I gave you last week of what legalism is. Legaliz- legalism seeks to earn or gain God's favor by what we do or don't do. Paul said, don't try to gain God's favor by keeping the law. And there are some who, seeking to avoid legalism, the ditch of legalism, have swerved over all the way into another ditch known as antinomianism. Now, antinomianism is a word that was coined by Martin Luther back in 1539. He took two Greek words, anti, anti, which we know means against, And then nomos, which means law, anti-law. And he coined that word to just antinomian is someone who uh, is against the law. This is uh, someone who 
I would say, has a faith that is spineless, that's convictionless. It's a type of cheap grace, a cheap Christianity that teaches that repentance, when you come to Christ, you repent one time, and then your sins are forgiven, and the law serves no further uh, purpose in your life. You don't have to look at the law. You just discard it. Obedience isn't necessary. And they will misquote a verse like Romans 6.14 that says, we are no longer under the law, but we are under what? Grace. We're under grace. We don't need to worry about the law. And this is, antinomianism is a dangerous teaching. It is a dangerous way to try to live your life, first of all, because it's twisted. It's, a, it's, it's taking God's word and twisting it in a way that it was never meant to be taught. This is not what Scripture teaches. And secondly, it's dangerous because one of the functions of God's law in the life of a believer is to expose indwelling sin uh, in our lives so that we can see it, so that we can confess it, so we can put it to death by the Holy Spirit, and that we can be freed from it so that we can walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, that that brings glory to God. In other words, we want to live, we want to look more like Jesus in the way that we live our lives. And sin, Jesus never sinned. Jesus is not a part of his, uh, sin is not a part of Jesus' character. And, you know, years ago I met a, a man who practiced a, a, a form of antinomianism and that he told me that once he came to Christ, he never sinned again. I was like, you never sinned again? He goes, yeah. And his, his teachers, those who had, who had taught him, had taught him from 1 John 3, 6. You might be familiar with this teaching, but 1 John 3, 6 says that no one who abides in Jesus continues to sin. So he was teaching that he had been taught that Christians don't sin. Now, when I was younger, that I, when I came to Christ, I was I, I began to uh, was excited about Jesus. I was following him, but then I noticed I kept sinning, which made me ask, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe that's that's you this morning, where you think I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't sin. Well, Scripture doesn't teach that. I uh, the man that I was talking to, his teachers failed to teach him First John two verse one, which is right before that. It says God doesn't want you to sin. Okay, be clear, God doesn't want you to sin, but if you do. It says that, you can look it up. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Also in James chapter three, and this is, I took, um, this man had a, a small little New Testament uh, with him, and I said, have you looked at James three, verse two? And he looked it up, and, it, and this is what it says. And, and James is speaking to believers. He says, we all stumble in many ways. So it's, it's one of those teachings where God doesn't want us to sin, but we do sin. And he kept insisting that he doesn't sin. So I, I was like, are you married? And he said, yes. I said, I'd like to talk to your wife. I'd like to see if she agrees that you never sin. So anyway, the point I'm getting at is that the law in our lives can be confusing. Do we obey the law or don't we obey the law in order to please God? And this, again, is, can, can be confusing. And my goal this morning is to help us to better understand how we are to walk as believers with, in relationship to the law and how we please God in obeying the law. Okay, So if you're taking notes, when you're considering how we are to walk 
uh, with the law in order to please God, the first question that you need to ask yourself is this. Have you been raised with Christ? That is the first thing that you need to ask yourself. Have you been raised with Christ? Let's look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, Paul is writing this to the church. Um, this statement, he's not trying to make people doubt their salvation. In, in one sense, he's saying, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. But the question I want us to ask this morning is, have you been raised with Christ? That is a question you have to understand before you start looking at the law of God to obey it in order to please God. Uh, this is a fundamental foundational truth that must be true in our lives if we are going to be able to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. So we need to understand what it means to be raised with Christ, which simply means that in part, this isn't the entire thing, but it means to be united with Christ and to belong to Jesus. That's what it means to be united with Christ and to belong to Jesus. Now, before you, if you've been raised with Christ, you belong to Christ. But before you belonged to Christ, there was a time you didn't belong to Christ. You weren't born belonging to Christ, right? You were lost, is what the scriptures would say. And you were alive to yourself. You were alive to your desires. Uh, you were alive to building your kingdom. You were alive to your dreams and everything that you wanted to do, accomplish. But, uh, which means that you were dead to Jesus. You were alive to yourself and dead to Jesus. In other words, you were separated from God. But at some point, if you have been raised with Christ, at some point you heard the voice of Jesus calling you in your heart, in your spirit. You heard him calling you, and through his kindness, through uh, circumstances, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, you came to realize two things. Number one, you came to realize that you're in rebellion to God. You realized you're separated from God. You realize that the life you're living is opposed to God's life. You, the Holy Spirit, God, through his word, and all those things made you aware of that. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, is not only did you realize that, that you were separated from God and that you deserved his wrath, his punishment, the second thing you realized is that he loved you. You realize that although you, you didn't love him, he loved you, and that he's willing to be, uh, forgive you of your sin and bring you into his family. And he proved it how? By the sacrifice of Jesus. You realize that. And I don't know how all this works. I don't know the order, and some of our uh, salvation stories are different. We don't all, all have the Paul uh, going to Damascus, falling off our horse and lightning flashing. Some of us gradually come to Christ. Some of us, it's just like that. But at some point, you no longer wished to live apart from God. You no longer wished to, to live life for yourself. You saw Jesus, his beauty, his glory, and you said, I want Jesus more than I want anything else. And you died to yourself, and you stopped putting your faith in yourself in uh, someone else or your circumstances, and you put your faith fully in Jesus. And, and the Word of God teaches that the moment you did that, you were united with Christ. And that means that you were forgiven of all your sins. You were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, and you were united to him in his death. When he was hanging on the cross, it says that you were in Christ. It's like you were on the cross 
being punished. But it was Jesus, but it's, you got credit for being punished through Jesus. When Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, you were in Christ and you were buried with Christ. This is a picture of baptism. You were buried in Christ. And here's when you were raised, when he was raised from the dead, because you were in him, you also were raised with Christ by the Holy Spirit. You were born again and something amazing happened. Your identity before God changed. Your identity changed. You went from being a sinner in the eyes of God to a saint, from an enemy to a child of God. You were, became a new creation with a new purpose, with new desires, with new dreams, and which all pointed to, which all focused to living for Jesus. I want all of, of, of Christ. I want everything about me to be about Christ. That's what we sang about this morning, right? All of you means less of me. Take everything. When you came to Christ, you were in that place where you said, I want you to, to take my life and do with it however you will. You fully submitted to him. And in that moment, you, your sins were washed away and you desired to obey Jesus, didn't you? You'll, you desired to obey the law from the heart. And here's the key. Not so that God would love you, but because you realize he already does through Jesus. And so you began to serve from the heart. It's kind of like flowers. Ladies, do you want your man to bring you flowers it depends, doesn't it? Depends on what his motive is. <laughs> that could be a lot of things, but it, it means, did he bring it to you because he had to? Because he was on the internet and he saw, take your wife flowers and she will, it will show her you love her. But inside your heart's really not connecting. You're just doing it because you know that, that uh, that's what she wants. You know, have you ever asked... <laughs> I'm getting off here, but have you ever asked uh, someone, you know, what do you want me to do? And they're like, I'm not telling you to do what to do because you'll do it, and he won't do it from the right heart. A woman wants uh, uh, flowers because you want to bring them, if that's what she wants, if flowers is what she wants. And in a similar way, that's what God's like when it comes to the law, obedience to the law. He doesn't want you to do it because you got to do it, because you're afraid you're going to go to hell if you don't do it. He wants you to do it because he knows, because you know how much he loves you, and you're responding. You're responding. Obedience is love. Responding to what Jesus did for you. And you, the response is by obeying his commandments. But first, you have to be raised with Christ. And before we move any uh, further in this passage, my question you need to ask yourself, have you been raised with Christ? Have you come to put everything, your life, have you given it to Jesus? Do you see Jesus greater than anything else and put your faith in Jesus? That's the first question that you have to say yes to if you are going to walk in a manner that pleases God in, with relationship to the law. The second question, if you can answer yes to that, is this. Is Jesus your life? today. Is Jesus your life today? I want you to think about that. Is Jesus your life today? Verse 3 says, for you have died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Is Jesus your life today? Now, I've got a little collage here that I put together. I went on on the internet and looked up. uh, I just put in such and such is life. Band is life. Um, I, I, I even typed in pickles and pickles is life. It came up. I didn't put that up there. But there are a various number of things that you can find to be your life. And how do you know if something is your life? When it's your life, it makes you feel excited. It makes you feel alive. Your your eyes light up when you talk about it. And others can't get you to stop talking about it. Um, One thing I've learned in life is that there's no such thing as a shy person. If you can figure out what their life is. There was this lady that was in our church years ago, not this church, in a church somewhere else. And uh, I thought she was shy and I was talking to her and I just started asking her questions and about um, her life. And then I, I said, um, what about your children? And boom, it's like the floodgates open. She couldn't, her eyes lit up. She's, she couldn't stop talking about her kids, how important they are to her, what they've accomplished, what they're doing. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. No, but really, I realized that children were clearly a huge part of her life and her identity. Now, if you're excited about your children, which I hope you are, it doesn't mean that, that it's unhealthy. We should, our eyes should light up when we're talking about our children. Our, our, our eyes should light up when we talk about uh, our work and our, our uh, school, I mean, our church and, and even activities that you enjoy doing. But let me ask you this. Do your eyes light up when you talk about Jesus? Do they light up today? When you're talking to someone about Jesus, do you get like passionate about that? I know that they did when you first believed in him. Uh, I know that they did when you understood the gospel. I know that they did when you solely wanted to live for him. And, you know, that's why it's so, I love being around new believers who have just put their faith in Jesus because they are so excited about uh, what Jesus has done for them. And that's because the, the, the love of Christ is so fresh in their minds and their hearts. But, you know, if you've been walking with Christ for any amount of time, you know that as life goes on, as we begin to face trials of various kinds, as Jesus says in Mark 4, as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, you know, as we walk in this world and our feet get dirty, which means we begin to uh, sin, we realize that we do sin as Christians as our feet get dirty. When that happens, our passion for Jesus can cool off. We can even drift away from our first love, as the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation did. Now, Jesus said to that church, you guys are doing amazing things. And he goes through this list of great things they did. He says, but you're doing them for the wrong reason. You've left your first love. And, you know, when that happens, blazing hearts you know, that once burned bright for Jesus become cold, damp, smoldering sepulchers. And when it comes to obeying Jesus, when we get like that, 
Jesus' laws seem like a bunch of legalistic rules of do's and don'ts rather than a joyful relationship that it was meant to be. Why is that? I know that everyone in here who's walked with Christ is saying, amen, I get that. I get that. We all remember times we've been passionate for Jesus, and then there's other times it's just we're just not feeling it. I think that one of the reasons that we are like that is found in our passage today in verse 1 and 2. Let's look at that again, verses 1 and 2. It's because we stop applying the part that says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. In verse 2, we stop setting our minds on things that are above. And we start setting our minds on earthly things. It's, it can be very gradual. It's called temptation. It's slow a lot of times. But then you, the Lord's like, hey, hey, where are you? Where have you fallen? Remember where you were. You know what, that, what's, what, what that's called when we set our mind on things of the earth? It's called idolatry. It's called putting other things above and in front of Jesus. And if you've been raised with Christ, but you don't have a passion for Christ this morning, maybe it's because you have allowed something or someone else to become greater in your life than Jesus. And if that's the case, there is a solution. And it's not that try to love Jesus harder. It's by asking another question, our last question, and that is, are you willing to continue growing in the gospel? Are you willing to continue growing in the gospel? We're going to stay in verses 1 and 2 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, those two phrases, seek the things above and set your mind on things above, are commands that are, that are in what's called the present active tense, which simply means that they are ongoing events. They are not one-time events that you do and then you move on. They are things that you do over and over. It's like you brush your hair hopefully, every day, right? You make up your, your, you clean up your room, it gets dirty. You clean up your room, it gets dirty. It's that thing where you do it over and over again. And uh, you might have a translation that says, if then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. This is something that needs to be done all through the life of a believer. In other words, you need to do what you did when you first came to Christ, if you're going to keep growing in the gospel. You've got to understand the gospel freshly. This is, this is what we call being gospel-centered. And um, this is the key. If you're going to live a, a spirit-filled, empowered life of obedience to Jesus, you have to keep the gospel fresh in your mind and your heart. This is one of our seven main core descriptors of our church, being gospel-centered. If we are not gospel-centered, we are not I don't, uh, I'm not saying you're not a church, okay? But if we're not gospel-centered, we are not going to be a church that bears fruit that, like we could. And being gospel-centered means to be passionately united and centered around the person and finished work of Jesus on 
the cross. This, this includes his burial. This includes his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. This includes his second coming. These are all good news for the believer. And one of the mistakes we make is when we think that the gospel is just a message that is meant to get you saved, and then you move on to bigger and better and deeper truths. That the gospel is somehow meant for those people that don't know Jesus yet, and then we move on to something else. That's just not the truth. The very, the very message we want to understand that got you saved, that got you into Christ, is the very message that is meant to empower you and me to grow and to obey God's law from the heart. And in order for that to happen, listen, one of the things that has to happen is we have got to get eyes. We need to develop eyes that see the gospel when we're reading the scriptures. We all, and if we can do that, we will see the gospel when we're living our lives, how it's displayed. But I want to show you in this this passage, where the gospel is, I asked you to see if you can see the gospel when you're going through the passage. I'm going to show you in just a second. But um, one thing I want to also challenge you in is when you're reading the epistles or the letters from the apostles in the New Testament, when you're reading the scriptures and you see a commandment, love your neighbor, live purely, whatever the, the commandment is, I can almost guarantee you somewhere around there, the gospel has been preached to you. Before he says to do this or don't do this, the gospel is meant to be a motivation. So when you're studying, not just in Colossians, but if you're studying in any of the New Testament scripture from Acts on to Revelation, look and see if there's a commandment, if the gospel isn't somewhere around it. But in chapters 1 and 2, as I said already, Paul spent a lot of ink and parchment reminding the church of who Jesus is, that he's preeminent, he's, he's above all, and that what he's done, he died for you, he loves you, he preached the gospel. And then in our passage today, he says in verse 5, let's look at verse 5, he gives a commandment. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, therefore, points back to the previously, he's saying because of, of what Christ has done for you, put to death in you what is earthly. And he goes through this list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now listen, nobody who comes to Jesus and Jesus's love is fresh in them and they're forgiven wants to do what I just read. Nobody does. If you're filled with the Spirit, you, you, you want to live for Jesus. So it's easy to say, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. When we're in our right minds in Christ, it's when we drift away from Christ that these things become tempting to us, isn't it? Aren't they? When Jesus is our life, again, we want to live for him. Let's look at verse 12. He says, put on then. This, so he just told us what to put off. Now he's telling us what to put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, listen, look right there. That's the gospel. We are, because Christ died for us, we are chosen ones. We are holy ones. We are beloved ones in Christ. So, put on then as God's holy, uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, 
and patience. That's what you want to do, isn't it? When you're full of Jesus, that's what you want to do. And that's actually Jesus living in us through the Holy Spirit. When That's what it means to become more like Jesus, isn't it? You're not becoming a little Christ, like um, Christ consciousness. You are letting, allowing Christ to live his life through you. And you become these things. You're not trying to do them. You're living them. One, uh, two more. I want you to look at verse 13 where the gospel is. Bearing with one another. Who do you have to bear with? I, I, shouldn't, I don't mean think of somebody. But I'm, <laughs> you have to bear with somebody that's kind of like difficult to be around, right? Now, the truth is a lot of us would not hang out together if it weren't for Christ. I mean, that's the truth. That's the beauty of the church. And we, we love each other, but we, we, our personalities, we all have different personalities, and they're not necessarily sinful. They're just different, right? And Paul knew that. And he says, bear with one another. And then he goes, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Do you see the gospel in there? What is he saying there? He's saying, if, if somebody sins against you, and listen, if you get close enough to me, you're going to know I have bad breath, okay? You are going to know that, and you're going to know that I am a sinner. And the same with, with you. We will both see that all of us need a Savior. And so if we are in a community like we want to be, where we are close to one another, we're going to sin against one another from time to time. We need to grasp this verse right here. And when that happens, what do you do? You go back, uh, you forgive that person. And notice that Paul doesn't say forgive because it's just the right thing to do. He doesn't say forgive so that God will forgive you. He doesn't say that. He says, remember, if someone sins against you, remember how you've been forgiven and then forgive them also. You see how, that, how the gospel, knowing the gospel, applying the gospel, what Christ has done for you affects the way that you live toward your brother or sister? We, we've got to learn how to abide in the gospel so that we know how to apply the gospel to one another. One, one more I want to look at is verse 14. It says this, And above all, all these Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, what does that mean, to put on love? I mean, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, does it mean we just go up and just mm, hug one another? I'm just going to, no, obviously, that is not what that means. Put on love is another way of saying, walk in the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, what, that a, that a, a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. 1 John 4, 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and here's how he did it. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The gospel is meant to bind all of us together, nothing else. Uh, not, not, not something else, not moving to another place. We can all get behind a rally and we can get, get excited about a new place, new banners, new uh, location. And as the excitement fades, so will our bond that unites us together. But if our bond that unites us together is Jesus, we will not be able to be separated. 
from one another. We will be effective in the way that we serve together as a body and make much of Jesus in the community that we are in. On the, in the converse, when we forget the gospel, when we forget how much God has loved us, when we forget how much we've been forgiven of in the past, um, in the present, and in the future, when we forget that, we will become the most ungrateful, unforgiving, impatient, and self-righteous people on the planet. And that is why it is so important for us to understand the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation, isn't it? And when we get the gospel, when we get understand the gospel, then verses 15 to the end is what our heart desires. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. When you get the gospel, you're a thankful person. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do we obey the law or don't we obey the law to please God? Yes, but in order to do so, we have to be raised with Christ. Jesus must be our life today, and we must be willing to grow in the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, I praise you um, just for the way that you have uh, been so kind to us and so merciful to us and so loving to us uh, that you would Call a people who didn't want you uh, back to yourself through your son, through expressing your love through your son. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get the gospel, to get your love for us so that the law will be something that we, we do from our hearts. It'll be a response. We won't be trying to gain your favor, but we will be able to express our love to you for what you've done for us. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.